This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Settle down, class, get your books out and quit passing notes at the back because it's time for the Virgin Radio Pridecast with me, Shivani Dave. And with me, Alex Milsom. And in case you haven't clocked it from Shivani's attempt at teacher cosplay in the intro there, you know what, whatever you're into, hun. For the next couple of episodes, we're going to be looking at the relationship which the LGBTQ plus community has with education. But before we start, last week we spoke about sport and we hailed Australian footballer Josh Cavallo as an absolute trailblazer for having the confidence to come out and be his true self. Upsettingly, just after the episode went out, we also heard that Josh was subject to some horrific homophobic abuse during a match against Melbourne victory over the weekend. So we wanted to offer up our sympathy, support and solidarity to Josh and everyone who stands with him. You know, that was a proper dampener i suppose of you know a week it was a really really nice episode we were talking about all of that and then you know if we go back to those episodes we've done before on, on why we need pride and why we need the pride cast and why we need all of the kind of representation in the media i think we see why don't we yeah i think um it was horrible reading some of the stuff that um i saw about you know the abuse that josh faced during a game no less like he's the man is trying to do his job people Leave his sexuality mm-hmm. out of it, please. He is trying to put on a good game for you to enjoy, and this is how you treat him. But um, it's it's really difficult because, you know, those kinds of attitudes are held still around the world to this day in the right old age of 2022, and um, it just goes to show how important this is. Yeah, that's it's a difficult week uh, and a difficult kind of thing to see. Uh, what about your week? How was it? My week was... Oh, Alex, do you want to hear the most boring story ever? Yeah. I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so I am having my living room decorated where I normally work. And it's quite a nice large space, big windows, beautiful sun shining in we every day. We love the natural light. We love and the natural light. It love natural light and um, it's getting decorated. So I've been kicked out of the living room, aka my my office, and I'm now working in my bedroom. I feel like a student again and everything is mess all around me. And I'm like, literally, I think the only thing I've eaten today is Skittles. Here's the packet for proof. Do you know what? You're back to school. Well, at least you're back to the grind. And it's very much been back to the grind this week. You know, nearly everyone's returned to work or school. And so, over the next couple of episodes, Shivani and I are going to be back to school ourselves. Uh, we're looking at the relationship between the LGBTQ plus community and education. And we're going to start this week by looking back to the late 1980s, where a piece of legislation was passed which prevented anything to do with being gay from being discussed in schools. So this piece of legislation was called Section 28 and, you know, putting on our legal wigs and being precise, it stated that local authorities, quote, shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. That was in the law. That was in the law. Pretended family relationship. Ugh, disgusting. But also really throws a spanner in the works for the gay agenda. Shockingly, Section 28 wasn't repealed until the year 2000 in Scotland and until 2003 in England and Wales. Well into mine and Alex's lifetimes. 
I would have been five or six. So while myself and Shivani were very much alive during the later stages of Section 28, let's hear from someone who was at school at the time, Virgin Radio's very own Tom Allen, who chatted to Steve Denyer about the impact that the legislation had on his life. What, what was it like growing up in South London in a place like Bromley? I mean, there were lots of things about it that were nice. And I realise now, as I'm older, that there were lots of things to be grateful for. But I think suburbia and the, the world at that time was not a fun place to be different, really. It wasn't embraced. And I, I think suburbia at times can have a bubbling undercurrent of violence to it. Mm. And there was always a sense of like my school that people would be like, I'm going to get my cousins, going to get my cousins to come down. Like even as children, like there was a there was a sense of kind of I, I, I don't know aggression, I suppose, and defensiveness, uh, which didn't make it very welcoming. Also, a lot of music in the nineties was quite I found quite sort of downbeat. It wasn't celebratory. It wasn't sort of opulent like a lot of music is now. It wasn't positive and and celebratory. It was kind of like downbeat. I I found, and I know people will will not be happy about me saying that, but um, there there wasn't kind of that much. There wasn't a lot of joy, and I, I think in terms of role models as a I didn't know if I was gay exactly when I was, say, nine years old, but I knew I was different, of different interests, and I was just a different person to everyone around me. But it was a time when there weren't any queer role models, really, very few. And so there, there weren't people on television talking positively about, not or just talking at all about being gay. Yeah. Um, there weren't any role models, really. Um, there were people in the newspapers who were outed. So it was kind of the media treated it as something salacious and something shameful, something that they could write about. And um, and pe- people had sort of, you know, and, and even sort of pop stars and stuff sort of were outed a lot of the time. Or, ha- you know, it wasn't like they weren't able to be front footed and like, I'm gay, it doesn't matter. They had to, you know, they, they had to, I, I don't know, often had to do it in response to like press pressure and stuff like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a happy time for them, I suppose, and a lot of people. And we didn't have like any gay friends. There were no gay people that we knew of in the area. There was no, there was, it didn't exist as so a thing. True, so sex- true, with, it's hard to explain now, but with Section 28 and stuff, there was no mention of it in school at all. Mm. And because of that, as far as I can understand, Section 28 meant that, that if you were homophobically bullied, the teachers couldn't go, don't say that to Tom. That's not fair. It's completely fine if he was gay. Like, they weren't allowed to say that. Yeah. So homophobic bullying could thrive. And the idea, and you know, sort of general homophobia and, and kind of all, all, all sorts of kind of anti-queerness was able to exist. And, and you know, things like PE were like, you know stop skipping around like a girl yeah would be the sort of things that would be bandied around and it's absolutely poisonous do you know that clip Shivani made me think about I, I trained up as a journalist at uni right and we do all of this media law and you know defamation don't you I've heard of it never been <laughs> accused of it thank you very good. much good I'll put my my legal barrister wig away but the interesting thing was years ago you could actually defame someone by you know damaging their reputation effectively by saying that they're gay that used to be the law you could say someone was gay and that was considered a like damage against their reputation and so you know for it to just be just by saying they are gay that being a sort of mark against someone's like you know stature in the community it's shocking. And so hearing here that Section 28 meant you couldn't even support a kid who was being bullied. You couldn't tell them that, hey, it's okay. That's just shocking. Yeah, it's it's outrageous. I mean, you know, the outing of people in the media is something that's still, like, I think a fit for a lot of LGBTQ plus celebrities who aren't out yet because it's their mm-hmm. right to say in on their terms when they want to come out, if they want to come out, they don't owe it to anybody to be out and proud and waving flags at the front of the pride parade but if they wanted to it's up to them to be the ones who 
share that part of themselves. We've talked about that in the past. Like, it's such a powerful thing to be able to do. And I would love to get to the stage in our society when, you know, a celebrity can come out and not make headline news. There's been so much of that. Sam Smith, Demi Lovato, Nikki Tutorials, Philip Schofield. Even I came out and I'm relatively... I don't even have... I actually got 4,000 followers on Twitter today and then somebody unfollowed me. So I don't even have 4,000 followers on Twitter. That is cruel. It was so painful. And I didn't even get a screenshot of the 4,000. But, you know, I'm relatively irrelevant and people still made a fuss about it when I came out. And it's one of those things that, you know, it shouldn't be news. it It shouldn't be sensational, but it still is. I'd love to go to just a day where someone can just come out and it's sort of like saying, I had a new cereal for breakfast this morning and I want it to just you know, come out to be as matter of fact and as ungrandiose and as unbig deal a thing. <laughs> I can't think of a better way of describing it. I wish it was like that. I kind of want to touch on that comment that Tom made there about... Um the connection to PE, you know, throwing it back Mm, to last week's episode, the like a girl comment as well, because so much of homophobia is rooted in misogyny. So much of homophobia towards men in particular is rooted in misogyny that somehow by being a man who sleeps with men, you become, you get treated like a woman by society. Mm -hmm. You, You become sort of a second class citizen and and women have been experiencing misogyny for as long as they've lived and for a man to come out and then suddenly get treated like that or to get treated like that at school it's such a toxic environment for young men and boys um to to have that misogyny thrown all around them for them to think that if they display any sort of feminine behavior they will be thought of as gay they will be thought of as a girl and there's this idea that being a girl or being a woman is is not as powerful as it is being a man obviously we know all of those things not to be true but it it increases this sort of disconnect between the like feminist movements and and uh, the gay community I don't really have any experiences that I can add on to that but you know just going back to school and last last uh, episode we were talking about sports and that macho culture that queerness doesn't equal macho-ness and you know if you're at school and you're unable to even talk about it and you're unable to even be able to normalize it you know just to have someone in your life that looks like that you can't actually have a a role model or someone to look up to because that that is forbidden by the law. You can't even tell a student that it's normal because that's forbidden by the law. So then it becomes a secret and it becomes this thing that you can't talk about. And then, you know, it just progresses and progresses and continually loops. And then you feel more like an outsider and more like someone that... It's just an endless loop, isn't it? Exactly. And Tom was talking there at the start of the clip about a lack of positive role models for young LGBTQ plus people. And and having these role models is so important for our development. We spoke just last week about having role models in sport and it's exactly the same in education. So let's hear now from someone else who grew up under Section 28, journalist Paul Brand. He spoke to Matt Cain on his Sunday roast about not being allowed to even talk to one of his teachers about being gay. Yeah, I just think that Section 28 was 
you know it's such a difficult thing for lots of children who grew up in the in the 90s and, and early 2000s i mean i remember coming out when i was 15 16 to my close friends and we went out on a, on a night out in cardiff slightly prematurely for our age uh, <laughs> and we bumped into my maths teacher and he was like oh god you're in this bar which was a gay bar uh, and I was like, oh, God, I'm in this bar with you. This is really, really embarrassing. So all credit to him. He said, look, I'm gay. Uh, I can't talk to you about it because of Section 28. And that was probably the first kind of role model I'd met, actually, gay role model that I'd met in life. And I could not have a conversation with him. I couldn't speak to him and say, I'm gay. I'm confused. I'm worried about it you know, sir, can you help me? Because the answer was no. He just absolutely couldn't talk to me about it. And I think the impact of Section 28 was just so far-reaching um, that, you know, it just can't be underestimated. That is so heartbreaking. I mean, I remember being at school when apparently everybody in the world knew that I was queer before I did. There were loads of rumours about me being gay. And um, I was kind of like, eh, whatever, I'm good at sport and <laughs> I like boys. Like, I know that that I, I, I thought I had a pretty good idea of who I was, turns out. That develops over time. But I was vibing. People sort of thought I was gay. I was like, whatever, water off a duck's back. And a teacher pulled me aside and sort of said, you know, there were these rumours, um, like, we've come across them as teachers. Like, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything that we could have helped, we could help with? And um, I was just like, they're saying what they're saying, but I'm not gay, miss, which is, you know, I lied to the teacher, but... Um, That's naughty. I didn't you know, know I was lying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but but it's just it's just one of those things that now I'm thinking about it, if, if I was alive 10 years earlier, if that happened 10 years before... I wouldn't have been able to even have that conversation with the teacher. That teacher wouldn't have been able to be there and offer me that support that she thought I needed. Um, and that's that makes it so heartbreaking. It creates that stigma, doesn't it? That, you know, being bullied is hard enough, like having all of that, but being bullied about something that, you know, you might be questioning your identity or you might be kind of like asking questions about yourself, not really at the full stage of being able to fully accept that you might, you know, be be gay or queer or however you may identify but to then have the teachers just being able to just having to kind of sit on almost like eating popcorn watching you getting bullied knowing they can't actually intervene and go no it's it's all right literally like you are going to be fine if you are gay they couldn't do that uh what, what was the term uh <laughs> because it's a pretended family family relationship you couldn't actually tell someone Oh no, it's all right. You're going to live a fully normal life. Don't worry. You couldn't do that. And I, I sort of sound like I'm laughing because it, it's so surreal. The thought about that. I was so happy that I could be myself and I could really talk about, you know, like, oh yeah, I am gay and this is how I feel about things. And knowing that I, 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 I wouldn't be able to just have a teacher almost like pat you on the back and go, oh, well done. And that must've taken a lot of effort, which it did. did. Um, to just know that a kid in my shoes, you know, as you say about 10 years ago in, in your shoes, a kid in my shoes just would have had to just take the bullying on the back, think that they are some sort of, like, outsider that deserves to not have a happy life because they're queer. Ugh. 
just that I, I don't really have much more I don't really have much more to say on that I'm just it's frustrating realizing that that was a, a thing that people people you know just 10 years older would have had to deal with in their life yeah it's it's really hard to try and wrap my head around it and we've we've heard from Tom and Paul about what it was like to be at school during section 28 but the lasting effects that leaves on you so many pupils and teachers must still be thinking about that today Interestingly, we are now going to hear from Jodie Lancet Grant. Now, Jodie's a children's author whose book, The Pirate Mums, features a lesbian relationship, but it would have been banned in schools under Section 28. Jodie spoke to Matt Kane about some of the hangovers of the legislation. Have a listen. Well, I think it was the the result of literally centuries of homophobia and uh, probably the AIDS panic as well. But I think that it is so incredibly damaging. It feels absolutely flabbergasting to me that my book 20 years ago when I was at school would have been illegal to have mm. in a school. It just seems absolutely crazy. And I, I was born in 1980, so I, my whole school career was all through Section 28. But because it was so complete, you didn't know what you were missing. You didn't know what gay literature you weren't reading or you weren't seeing or what material wasn't there because it was so completely absent. And I think I've been so heartened by the response to my book from teachers who are desperate for content like this to use in the classroom. But because 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 of the hangover of Section 28, there isn't much there for them to use. Now in the classroom, thankfully, teachers are supposed to be talking about inclusive families and representing all different kinds of families. But there aren't loads of resources that help them do that. Because as I say, it's coming off the back of this centuries of homophobia that in Section 28 was clarified and put into actual law which seems crazy you know i'm always going to be here for any usage of the word flabbergasted but i'm particularly here for it here because i'm absolutely shocked that just a book that normalized you know non-standard relationships would be banned under law you know it's something so so small it's sort of like banning elmer because elephants shouldn't have multiple colors it's sort of the fact that this book... The rainbow even... fish is about to get so cancelled. Oh my goodness, it, it is. But, you know, the book doesn't even focus heavily on, on the relationship. I'm, I don't want to spoil it, but it focuses more on the fact that the, the parents are, you know, same-sex parents, but they're pirates. And that's the more embarrassing thing to the kid. But here we are. They are book... pirates. Pirates are, like, inherently, like, bad. They, like, steal and they, like, pirate things and... You wouldn't pirate a TV show, would you? You know that advert. What's yeah, it? but do you know what? You wouldn't do you know pirate your grocery worse? shop. Like pirating is the bad thing. How are the gay mums the bad thing in this? I know, I know. It's it, it's shocking. But so to know that that book would be entirely banned in schools, but you know, <laughs> they could be thieves, but it would actually be much worse if they're lesbians. That that frustrates me and uh, flabbergasted is the word that I'm going to use. And it was a book that kind of started, sort of kicked off Section 28. There was a, a school in Harringay, a primary school, where people complained about one of the books called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin, which is just a story about a girl living with two dads who were in a relationship together. And this is what happened. This is the extent to which, you know, people were so scared of same-sex couples that they just completely ruined education for 
for hundreds, thousands, potentially millions of children in the UK over that period of time because of Section 28. And from a personal point of view, I make the logbooks when I'm not hanging out with you, Alex. Yeah. And the logbooks is an LGBT history podcast um, about Britain's history. And um, we talk a lot about Section 28. We talk a lot about sort of the censored stories, the censored lives. And um, the episode was actually broadcast on Virgin Radio Pride over the summer. And teachers or or people who were at school under Section 28 come to us and they ask us um, if, if they can share the podcast far and wide because of the topics that it touches on. And obviously, like, they can share it. Please share it because it's on the internet. It's there for people to listen to. But people are just so hungry for this information because I think even now, to this day, teachers haven't fully gotten over the fact that they weren't allowed to talk about LGBTQ plus issues, that they are now worried about what they can and they can't say and they're looking for the resources. And I still think that what's been provided to them is somewhat inadequate. Of course. It, it's Section 28, there are still it's like legacy aspects of it that because of the fear that, you know, you would have been effectively you could have ended up with a criminal record for being a teacher talking in school and saying that hey kids gay is okay that is enough to have literally had you potentially banned from working with students you know taken out of a classroom losing your job being ostracized in the community so it's quite understandable that people will still have that sort of long lasting potential fear and we heard what it was like growing up during section 28 and some of those hangovers of the legislation but i think it would also be interesting for us to look at education before Section 28 was introduced. Hang on a minute, Alex. We'll hear from former teacher Ellie Barnes, who grew up in the time before Section 28. That's on the way, I promise. Straight after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl. Hello, first this week... Adelaide United's Josh Cavallo has insisted hate never will win after suffering homophobic abuse during an A-League game. You'll remember the 22-year-old midfielder received global support back in October when he became the only openly gay male active professional footballer in one of the world's top leagues. Hi everyone, it's Josh Cavallo here. I'm at my home here in Adelaide. There's something personal that I need to share with everyone. I'm a footballer and I'm gay. Growing up, I always felt the need to hide myself, you know, because I was ashamed. And ashamed I'll never be able to do what I love and be gay. Well, he was abused from sanctions of the crowd after coming on as a second-half substitute in a game on Saturday. He posted on social media that there are no words to tell you how disappointed I was. As a society, it shows we still face these problems in 2022. Now, Jamie Lynn Spears says she did take the steps to help her sister Brittany in ending her conservatorship. Speaking to Good Morning America ahead of the release of her new memoir, she insists she spoke to the pop star's legal team. She's also revealed she doesn't know why there's now a rift between the siblings. Brittany's previously criticised her family's handling of the legal arrangement. And finally, some good news from France. The country's lifted restrictions on blood donations for gay and bisexual men and will no longer require sexual abstinence. On Tuesday, the health minister announced that from the 16th of March, 
all French people, whatever their sexual orientation, will be able to donate blood. That's all from me. I'm back next week. Thanks, Daryl. Now, this week we've been speaking about Section 28 and the devastating effects which it had on the education system and the lives of LGBTQ plus people growing up under it. But what was it like to be at school before Section 28 was introduced? Was it this rainbow area where all genders and sexualities were explored? Well, we're going to find out. Let's hear now from Ellie Barnes, a former music teacher and founder of the charity Educate and Celebrate, which aims to make schools more inclusive. She spoke to Emma Goswell about growing up before the legislation was introduced. Well, me and you are pretty much exactly the same age as we discovered a few years ago, didn't we? And you're right, you know, it affected really people that were slightly younger than us didn't it clause 28 but we were just from a time where it wasn't discussed anyway so it was almost like what are you banning no one's even mentioned homosexual acts or being gay or how to have a healthy gay relationship at school no no I felt like I was the only lesbian at my school obviously thanks to Facebook I now know that's not true but (laughs) (laughs) no it is true there was a complete silence you're absolutely right it was only when I went to uni and for the first time someone said oh Oh, you're one of those you're <laughs> I was like what what is that I mean I hadn't even heard the words but I just assumed in my naivety at this point because Emma there was no education around it at all I thought everybody had relationships with all people of all genders I just thought that's something that everybody did so it was quite a shock to me when I got to you to find out oh okay so we're meant to be heterosexual, are we? Because that's not the way that my life had been up to that point. But maybe it's because, I don't know, I was from a very sheltered background in the countryside, I think. Yeah, you were living an idyllic life then, weren't you, in your brain? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it wasn't mentioned. So that was a real shock that suddenly I was labelled and I'd always felt quite free. And I guess in lots of respects, I was one of the lucky ones, really. That thing that she says there, that everybody had relationships with people of all genders is like... One of those things where you know when you're gay or bi. I definitely had it when I was when I was like first realizing that I'm bi. Like mm. I thought everybody like fancied everyone. And I was like, wait, hold on. There are people out there who don't fancy men and women and non-binary people and people of the whole spectrum of gender and no genders. And my friends were like dude, I think you're gay. And I think that's actually how the rumours started at school. But it's like a complete realisation moment where you're like, oh. Yeah, I do actually remember quite... <laughs> oh, this is this is, this is is an overshare. But I remember at one point in my young, like, naiveness as a child being like, do you think boys could kiss boys as well? <laughs> that's, that's probably where the rumours started with me, to be fair. <laughs> But um, the thing that I can't get my head around, though, is is that the legislation did so much more damage than, you know, oh, we, we just don't want people to talk about it in schools. But here, Ellie's talking about the experience of, you know, it completely changing a perception of, 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 of what is okay and what is acceptable and, you know, what normal is. The legislation actually changed that and all of a sudden to go from that pre-Section 28 world where, you know, you just feel like you can be yourself to this post-Section 28 world where school is this environment where you have to hide yourself. It's honestly devastating as well to think about what this lack of education meant and the timing of the fact that this, this was suddenly, you know, at a point when 
LGBTQ plus people needed it the most. You know, in the wake of the HIV AIDS crisis, the lack of education around safer sex for gay people is devastating. You know, even even when I was at school after Section 28, things like PrEP and PEP weren't discussed. Um, things that we, we discuss at quite a lot of length in episode five of the Virgin Radio podcast, if you want to go back and listen to it. Really incredible, life-saving information, you know, to, to have safer sex when it comes to um, the transmission of, of STIs. And it's not just HIV and AIDS. There's so much more that, that could have a devastating impact on someone's life. And the fact that people weren't taught about any of this is honestly... Uh, there, there are no words to to describe how much of a failure Section 28 has been. Not at all. I mean, my sex education, um, you know, they called it PSHE when I was in school. My sex education, the one slither of sexual health advice that I got was uh, taught to me via the use of a carrot and a condom. And I was with uh, a person called Saskia. Hi, Saskia. Shout out if you're listening. Um, and we just put a condom on a carrot and that was it. That was their light touch sexual health education. And I was like, brilliant. I've learned how to put a condom on a carrot. I am completely set for everything in life. There's so much that just isn't covered. And the it's, again, going back to that drop-off, you know, the, the lasting effects of Section 28. I don't think any teacher would have been so bold enough in my old school to go, right, so we've covered that. Now, just in case you might be gay, let's also cover this. None of that was covered. So instead, my pure one single slither of sexual health advice was, if you're going to get your carrot out, put a condom on it. That was it. Which is still good advice. You yes. know, that can't be, can't be slammed, but there's so much more to say for sex. And obviously, we know that that's not the sum total of what sex is. There's so much more. None of that was really taught in a way that you would learn how to do it in a, in a safe way, which is, again, a huge failure from the government. And um, interesting you got a carrot because I got a banana. We're going to hear some more from Ellie next week where we talk about what's being done to improve LGBTQ plus education in schools and beyond. But first, let's hear from It's a Sin star Nathaniel Hall on not only growing up under Section 28, but also being diagnosed with HIV at the time. Uh, I've lived longer with HIV than I have without. Um, so I've been, it's 18, 18 years now, can you believe? Um, I was diagnosed with HIV when I was 16. Um, so I had just, we're going back to 2003. The world was, you know, a very homophobic place. It's still not perfect now, the UK, but we're getting a lot better. I mean, when I think back, we're just a world away now mm. to where we were, you know, and um, Section 28 was had only just been repealed that year yeah. when I left school. So, Gosh. you know, uh, being gay wasn't talked about in any positive way at school. Um, so there's lots of secrecy, lots of like shame and unpicking anyone that's come out will know what that feels like, you know, mm. unpicking all that, just coming into my own, into my sexuality and 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 met someone who was older than me and that was exciting and intoxicating and you know I'm from a really white middle class kind of upbringing it was my kind of active rebellion you know kind of going out on canal street and doing these things yeah. and as a result of that you know I, I contracted HIV and it was very powerful the shame and the stigma of HIV is very powerful but I think for me particularly it was compounded by all those those 
internalized feelings of homophobia that you're just trying to overcome and it was kind of this thing of at school it, we, we'd had a, a sex ed lesson which was a bit like if you're gay you, you'll get you know you'll get aids and die it was very much like coached cars, classic yeah. mean girls but not as funny and you know it kind of happened the the the, the prophecy that had been laid out before me had happened and so I just completely shut down and I didn't tell anyone I didn't tell I told very very few people I didn't tell my family for 15 years that is an absolutely toxic mix those attitudes don't disappear overnight so that blends that that mix of having to couple questions and denials about your identity with the difficulty of coming to terms with your HIV diagnosis that is horrible I think it's really important to show the real life examples of the impact that this has had. So we don't go anywhere near any sort of disgusting legislation like that again. You know, it's not just, as Nathaniel touches on, it's not just the, the physical health that gets affected. It's the mental health. It's, it's, it's the emotional health. It's who you are as a person becomes a, a point of stigma. And that that leads to like internalized shame and all sorts of things. And it's something that, you know, we need to we need to remember as a community to make sure that that nothing like this happens again. Um, The effects of it have just been devastating. So on that really somber note, that's just about all we've got time for on the Pridecast this week. But next week, we're going to continue our exploration into the world of LGBTQ plus education by looking at the ways in which the education system is changing to become more inclusive and even at whether we have the responsibility to educate those outside of the LGBTQ plus community. Until then, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got anything to say about anything we've discussed this week or anything we might have not discussed and you want to hear about, you can email us using pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. Or you can find us on the Twitter. Shivani does still want those 4,000 followers, so you can find them on there. At Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. Until then, that's all from us. See you next week. Class dismissed.